morning. Welcome to church. Happy New Year. Glad you're here. And uh, we hope that that celebration was fun and exciting and safe for you. As we start our service, we're going to be singing our first hymn for the beauty of the earth, hymn number 56. So you would stand and sing, please. our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. 
May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Responsive reading from Psalm 146, starting in verse 12. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He's revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. I do not know his laws. Our second hymn this morning is number 78. Great is thy faithfulness.
first scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 10 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the land of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priest with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The second scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rick. If you would stand with me for the gospel reading. Reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not out of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, 
We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. When we consider how Christians are to live, we're to look to Jesus for our example, especially in regard to how we treat each other as fellow Christians. Jesus is our example, especially in regard to how we treat fellow Christians. Now, as a disciple of Jesus, if indeed you claim to be, if you are a Christian, how do you perceive Jesus' life? When you think about Jesus' life, what comes to mind? What's interesting is that there's a lot of varying different perspectives on who Jesus was. Some say he was a wise teacher. Some say he was a mythical character, wasn't historical at all. Or maybe just a victim of Rome, someone who tried to do something in his time. He stood up against the wrong people and they punished him for it. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says that Jesus was an extreme servant. Starting in verse 6, chapter 2. Paul says, existing in the form of God, the morphe, where we get the word morph, shape, how something appears. Existing in the form of God, he did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. Now, what's interesting in the Bible oftentimes is that the form often expresses something that's happening on the inside or in the essence of something. The ancient Greeks, they spoke often about the essence and the accidents. The accidents, the things that happen in life, reveal what's going on underneath the surface, the, the invisible things. And so too in the Bible, basically what you see is what you get. An angel pops out of nowhere, you see the angel for who he or she is, and it causes fear. Kind of like in Luke 9 when Jesus is on the mountain and he's, the text says, transfigured. It says that his face changed, his, his clothes became white, and the, the disciples begin to see and worship God for who he was. Because at the, the previous times, they saw his morphe, they saw his form as just a man. But on the mountain, they saw him as some kind of divine messianic character. Likewise, too, in Isaiah 53, the author tells us that the Christ or the Messiah that's coming is not going to have any special appearance that we would worship him. There's nothing about his appearance or about what he looks like that is going to cause worship. You see, which is kind of interesting, that the appearance of something causes one to 
be known for something else that, that is connected to this appearance. So Jesus is existing in the form of God. Interesting, Paul is telling us that Jesus is divine. Just in the same way John expresses in chapter 1 of his gospel. So with this form of God, with this existing in the same nature as God, as the NIV translate, strangely enough, Jesus did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. Or as this is translated in our reading this morning, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I think that's a good translation. Biblical scholars have debated about what this word grasp means because it only appears once in the New Testament and it's very rare in ancient Greek. And some say that it's a retaining of something. As if you, if you gave me something and I just squeezed it and held on to it, trying to keep it mine. And I think that some biblical scholars take this kind of approach in order to bolster the argument that Jesus was divine before he existed as a man. But it could mean something else. Not necessarily grasped and held onto as if one had accomplished or owned it, but it could also mean something like seizing something, reaching out to snatch, in other words. I'm not implying that Jesus was not equal with God, but I am implying that this action tells us something about what Jesus does with his opportunity, with his rights as being in the form of God. He doesn't exercise them. He does not exercise his rights. Verse 7 says something else, but rather he emptied himself. The Eastern Orthodox often talk about this emptying. They call it kenosis. He rendered it up. The rights that he had, his ability, his form, he made it void. It's not that he didn't try to compete with God like someone else who is kicked out of heaven, Satan. But he made those rights void. How do you perceive Jesus' life? He gave up his form... As God, he gave up his rank and his position as divine, and he emptied himself. And that's not where it ends. Not only did he give up his divine form, but he received a different form, a different morphe, that of a slave. He denied his rights, he denied his position, he denied his power, he denied his privileges as the true God. And he became like the likeness of man. We call this the incarnation, to enter into flesh, carne. The way of life, starting in verse 8. This way of life was humble. It wasn't as if he stepped out of heaven off his divine throne and became a great man. 
that deserved and, and demanded respect and valor as a warlord, as a politician, as a king. As we read in the previous passages of the last few weeks through Advent, we, we can understand very clearly that he came humbly. And verse 8 says that he was obedient to death. And it wasn't just enough to be obedient until he died, but he died because of the extent of his obedience. There's a big difference. What he did, how he lived, which was the opposite of exercising his very God-given privileges, resulted in his murder. Now, does that sound good to you as a disciple of Jesus, as one who is to follow Jesus' example and to live in a way that not only produces the same result, but provides the same fate? Is that your plan for you? Having just heard the details of Paul telling us what his perspective, what the Christian perspective of Jesus is. Is that plan for you to deny your rights that maybe you've been born into or maybe something that you've achieved through your hard work to empty yourself, to make those privileges void for the sake of someone else, maybe someone who doesn't even deserve it? If you're a disciple of Jesus, we must reconcile what this means for us. But notice what happens. Jesus gives up his rights. Jesus becomes a humble human being. Jesus is obedient unto his death. But, verse 9, but God... Because of this, he saw the humility of Jesus. He saw the obedience of Jesus. He saw that Jesus was not trying to snatch power from God, even though he was equal. But he saw the assurance. He saw the assurance of Jesus that if Jesus were to live in a certain way, Jesus knew that things would be made right. That doesn't mean that it didn't cost him. But Jesus was so sure in the mercy and in the faithfulness and the judgment of God that he would be given something. See, God saw that Jesus was not wanting to compete. He wasn't trying to snatch anything that wasn't... He wasn't trying to snatch things that were above what he deserved, let alone what... He deserved. He exalted him, it says. We get the word hyper, an extent of something. He was hyper-hyped, the text says. Exalted beyond measure because of what he did, because of how he lived. And the text says that he gave freely He exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name. Because Jesus didn't take what was his, 
and snatch it for his own to keep it, but gave it freely to those who did not deserve it. God gave to him freely a name above all names. Let me ask you a question. How many times this week, when you dealt with other people, did you attempt to give yourself a name above all names? Maybe just not that much, but a name above someone else's name. I can think of a few examples that happened this week. Maybe not something that I said or something that I did, but something that I thought, absolutely. I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't deserve for this event to be happening to me right now. I am above this, and the people that are causing this inconvenience to me are below me. And then I read a passage like this. I'm unwilling to give up my simple rights as a human being, which all of us have. Our right to live in peace, our right to, to choose freely what we do and what we don't do. And how unwilling I am often to let go of those rights, even though they're mine. And yet I see the person of Jesus who's deserving of worship who's holy, who is in the place of God and says, I am not just going to not exercise my rights, but I'm going to give them away for people who hate me. I'm going to go into the world that other people messed up, that I created, and let them destroy me as they've already destroyed my world for the sake of what? For the sake of God's love. How many times have we hyped ourselves over less? Jesus made himself triple humble. He stepped off his throne, came to the earth, came to the earth as humble instead of powerful, and died. But he was honored by God. Do you think as you consider this, do you think God's response to you will be any different than to Jesus? As a disciple of Christ, how do you think God will respond to your efforts, even if no one's looking or you don't get recognition for it, when you empty yourself for the other person? especially in the church. What do you think God thinks of your arrogance, maybe? The text says, tells us something interesting here about Jesus. In verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every knee in heaven who has seen his glory, who's seen his true morphe, his true form, and those under earth. I think this is applying to dominions and powers of evil. But those upon the earth. Now, this isn't one of those power moves of God where God puts the gun to the head and says, you can either bow or die. No. 
This is people seeing Jesus for who he is. Verse 11, it says that every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is just not, this is not some forcing of God. This is not just Jesus practicing his dominion over people who are less powerful than him, like a king would. Bow to me, servant, or you can pay the consequences. No, this is people rightfully acknowledging for who Jesus is. On their own free will. You see, this isn't forced. This is people seeing the true form of who God is in the person of Jesus. And it's going to force them. They're not going to be forced in the sense of they have to, but in recognition of who he is and what he's like. You see, all are going to see that Jesus is the true example of who God is. That it was God's love for humanity that he came. It was God's love that moved him to this extreme service at his own detriment. What it cost Jesus, what it cost God was extreme. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, when we look at these passages and we see the extent that Jesus went to for love for us, it tests our allegiance to him, doesn't it? How can anyone live this way? How can anyone go to the extent that Jesus did? How can we leave this building today and act this out? You see, Jesus did this perfectly. But because he did it perfectly, we're given something. We're given the power of God, and it's through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus and all of us who believe. All of us who have been cleansed through the gospel. And it's the Spirit that works through us. You see, we all have a form. We all have a, a, a way about us, a human, a human form that's tainted by the sins of the world, by the sins of other people against us in our own sin, just like we said in our confession. But when we accept and see the power and the majesty of Jesus and accept what he has done at a great price, it changes us. It doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not going to do bad things anymore, but it gives us release from the power of sin. And it gives us the power to live in a way that we would never even think. It gives me love for people, and when in my flesh, in my natural form, I would say, you don't deserve it. How much more so must we, should we, Love each other in the church because what we believe is that all of us are now equal. All of us are now at the status of Jesus himself because he bestows that honor upon those who live 
as he did, who believe as he did, that the things that we experience in this world to our detriment for the sake of God is as if they're nothing compared to the glory that's to come. The name above all names, hyper-hyped, super-hyped, elevated to God's status. Let me ask you, what do you fear losing when you think about emptying yourself for the sake of someone else? Maybe it's someone in this room. What does it cost you? Is it your ego? Is it your money? Is it your status? Is it your inconvenience? All of those things that I think of that I just named often come into my mind. And it's because I'm a broken man that desperately needs every day the gospel. Is the cost too high to live like Jesus? To give like Jesus? Notice that he gave up much more than we could ever give up. Even if we combined everything that we have in this room, it would still be nothing compared to what Jesus gave up to serve. And he didn't see the price was too high. He gives it freely. He doesn't snatch it. He opens his hand and says, here, take it. And the reason why he didn't is because his, his exceptional love for you and the world that he created wasn't motivated because God forced him. But it says he emptied himself for you and for me. There's no two ways about it. Whether Jesus comes back before you die or when you die, when I die, we will bow. Not because he forces us, because we'll see him for who he really is. And will cause us to think, did I live my life in the way that he's prescribed? You see, we're made in his image. Which means that when sin's removed, this is the way that we live. We live like God. Who can you serve now? Who is it in your life? Who is it in, in your life that will cause you to get on your cross if you love and care for them? It's scary. If you don't have the power to do that, you have the opportunity to pray for that. You have the opportunity to receive that. And not only will it bring forgiveness for you, always, it's going to put power in you that's going to reveal that in someone's life who doesn't deserve it and has no clue what it means to be a follower of Christ. What's your perspective of Jesus' life? And as a disciple of Christ, how do you see your life fitting into the life of Christ? Let's take some time of silence for reflection and prayer. 
focusing on the great sacrifice of Jesus, the audacity to give up everything, and into our response. Maybe something on your mind this week that you've been thinking about. You've been debating about how you should respond to it, how this verse, these passages, might inform that decision in an incredible way through the power of God. Let's stand together and recite the Apostles' Creed. Together, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for Christ and for who, for who he is and that he did not seek to honor himself but instead to honor you. Thank you for his great gift and his great sacrifice on our, our behalf.
Because he is honored, we are honored. Because he's been elevated, we have been elevated. I pray that we would live that way. I pray that our congregation and myself would would live in a way that's fueled by the power of God, your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray that we would continue to see the urgency of the needs in our communities, in our city, even within our church, amongst people who are fallen and have needs. I pray that we would serve diligently, not because we have to, but because of our love for you, our love for our neighbor. Please continue to fill us. Please continue to strengthen us, even though we often don't feel like it. Change our form into that of yours. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our last hymn this morning is number 57. This is My Father's World. Hymn 5-7.
Lord's benediction. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.